0: To the modern mind and this modern generation of the scientific minds of my community, to the men who run these companies, you know what the Bible is? As an idea, it's a fantasy. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a part of a series we've been doing on spiritual warfare, going through Ephesians 6, 10-20. We're praying this is useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Be Thou my wisdom, and Thou my true word.
1: Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God
0: One of the things I love about God, God's a talker. God is a talker. You know that He's always talking. That's how the Bible starts. It starts with God talking. God is a communicator. It's it's, it's an odd thing to want to be one of the first things that is true about God in the Bible is that God is talking. Who's He talking to? Talking to Himself. But he's talking. He's communicating. It's just kind of a. It's one of the weirdest features. It's one of the weirdest characteristics about God. That kind of sits there baldly in the text, and you don't even really notice it. You don't really notice that there's a claim being made in the Bible. There's being a claim being made in Christianity, which is actually very startling. God's a talker. The Bible doesn't claim to be a number of men and women sitting there experiencing some sort of spiritual um, ecstasy by which they wrote down ideas about God and therefore told you those ideas so you could share them together. That is not what the Bible claims to be. The Bible does not claim to be an accumulation of of insights and spiritual truths for your convenience. (laughs) It's far, far, far from it. That is what the Upanishads claim to be. The Vedic Vedic scriptures of the Hindu faith, that's what a number of different uh, uh, texts claim to be. But uh, in Christianity, we say God is a talker. When God talks, light appears. When God speaks, worlds are formed. When God spoke, this man here came became a new, a new creature in Christ. Like that's happening all. There's an idea that God is actively speaking into the world. And that even right now, with the timbre and tone of my voice, as I'm communicating with the help of some amplification, it, it is actually, I will challenge you, God, God is speaking here. Uh, let's hope that. Because if it's just me, if it's just me, if it's just me, it might not be worth listening to. But if I speak for God, you must listen. Why? Because God is a talker. <laughs> but there are, other, there are other voices. There are other voices in the, voices in the Bible, though. And, and in fact, in Genesis, in the first two chapters, God is a talker. He's talking. And then he, he creates men and women. And they, what happens to those men and women? They start talking. The guy talks to the girl. The girl they start talking to each other. We're talkers. God's a talker. And so is his enemy and ours. You, if you're visiting today, we're in a series called The Invisible War. This is the second to the last of the series. The next week we'll talk about prayer. And then we'll be done with this kind of this excursus over the summer that we've been looking at on uh, spiritual conflict and spiritual battle. But God's a talker. He makes us talkers. And then we find out our enemy, the devil, his enemy, the enemy of all things good, the, the, the arch enemy of evil is what? what is he? He's a talker. He's a talker. And he seems to never shut up. And he's got nothing to say. But he always asks the same question. In fact, yeah, I will tell you one thing I would think about, that, uh, I think that's not mentioned in the scriptures, my own kind of insight, if it is anything. I don't think that Satan is very creative. And evil is not creative. And I, I found this in my whole life. Everywhere I've gone, I remember working on, in the streets of New York. I remember working in Chicago. I remember working... Least, uh, evil always smells bad. It always looks it always looks and smells like destruction. It always smells, and, 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 and the, the evil places of cities always look the same. They always have the same kind of ruin and the same kind of de- deterioration. No, no, evil always looks the same. <laughs> It's not even creative. Satan always asks the same question. Did God really say that? It's the first words out of the demonic lips of the serpent. It's how we meet the devil. It's his first question. And what does he seem to know right there? What does he seem to know? What we just heard this morning. God's a talker. He knows God's a talker, and he means to do some talking too. He means to talk alongside, to talk against, and to call all of the words of God, all of the words of love, judgment, grace, His presence, His person, and to, call, and to turn them to, to, to ask a simple question: Do you hear all? Do you hear every how everything in one sense just falls apart if you can't answer that question? Did God really? say that it's cunning it's evil it's twisted it sows doubt freely right in the midst of how it as it talks to you it's it's beguiling it's meant to call you just to get you to go huh i don't think. Hmm, hmm. if we were to look even closer uh satan then misquotes what god says and then misquotes it again and then interprets it there it's it's, it's all god's a talker and so is the devil. So is the enemy. So is the demonic. What I want to teach us today is to take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. It's to teach, teach you to talk back, as it were, to talk back to the things that are said to your heart, to talk back to the challenges, to talk back to your heart, to this generation, to the Discovery Channel when it tells you lies about the Scripture being fabricated by man. It wasn't. That's just a lie. It's not even historically true. But this is always the question. And, and it's, when I say it's not being creative, when I say it's not being creative, Satan asks this question. 8150, gospel's getting out. People are hearing about Jesus. And then Marcion goes, wait a second, did God really write the Old Testament? No, he only wrote those good parts of the New Testament. That's what he wrote. You know what? Did God really say Deuteronomy? Did he really say that? Same question comes up again within the first life of the church, the first generation, it comes up. And it came up again and again and again. In the 19th century, the 18th century came up with an intellectual challenge. The, The question was, did God really say that? But then the question became, well, do intelligent people think that God talks? Aren't you an intelligent, do intelligent people think that God talks? Have you heard God talk? Have you heard God talk? And if you said yes, we would all be a little bit nervous, right? We'd all be a little bit concerned about that person if they said it. So the question came in the Enlightenment. The question was repeated again in modern liberal scholarship. Did God really say this? Does that word really mean that? These are all different ways to reinterpret, to take away a prima facie, a first blush that, where God says, God loves you. Well, yeah, but, but God doesn't really love. He's just more like a force, isn't he? Who knows what they will say? Who knows what lies will come out at that moment? But the question always has been, did God really say that? How's that question appear today? Uh, not yet. I was going to say, I was going to say that. All right, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, sorry. Uh, I make these PowerPoints and really they're kind of pointless, but they do kind of keep me on track, huh? which is not always the best thing. Sometimes it's it's better. Oh, that's, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now that I have no idea where I was going, no. So the modern, the modern statement of this is not, is not this by the way, the modern world doesn't say, ask this question. Did God really say that? it says something much more heavy than that. It says the Bible is not possible. The Bible to the modern mind and this modern generation of the scientific minds of my community, to Elon Musk, to the men who run these companies, you know what the Bible is? As an idea, it's a fantasy. And we are all deluded by it. The Bible isn't even possible as an idea. You get sent. This world, this generation does not imagine that such data or such a communication is available to you and to me. No such thing, because this, the idea that the Bible, that God has spoken, would mean that we had words about the world that nobody could deny. And we would never be wrong. And what the modern world tells us is that your Bible is a fantasy. Not just that it has fantasy in it, you get what I'm saying here? Just the idea of it is a fantasy. You hear how crushing that is to our spirit? Haven't you felt that blow and that attack in your own heart? Knowing that even as you talk about being a Christian, you worry about the smirks of smart people who will sit there and go, boy, I can't believe she's so stupid. Do you, can you imagine he still believes in fairy tales? He still believes in Jesus. Whew. What do we say? The Bible internally of its own self claims without any doubt to be breathed by God. It is the ha, the exhalation "Ah," of his personhood into the world. I know, kind of weird. But that's what it's saying. He breathed it. Now, when I breathe something, it stinks like me, right? (laughs) When I breathe something, you should watch out if I got halitosis, right? (laughs) Jesus doesn't have halitosis. (laughs) Everything that he breathes is what? Pure, simple, radiant, true, beautiful, good, and trustworthy. Get it? What we breathe out is reflective of the person it's breathed out of. We are claiming, the Bible claims out of and of itself to be breathed by God, perfect in all facts and truths with infallible authority. Let me teach you some Hebrew. Anybody want to learn some Hebrew. You know, I can teach you five percent of the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament is a big book. I can teach you five percent of the Old Testament in Hebrew, and it goes like this: Vayomer Yahweh. Five percent of the Old Testament is Vayomer Yahweh, and Vayomer Yahweh means "and God said." God's a talker. Five percent of the whole Old Testament is just those three words. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And God said, he claims to be 100% reliable, 100% factual, 100% true. Christianity, and I don't know whether you stumbled here. I, I, like there's, we always have guests. I don't, know where you're, I don't know how much faith you come to the table with or to hear me with. But I do want you to understand if you reject Christianity, please understand what you're rejecting and reject it as what it claims to be. And it claims to be an unembarrassed supernaturalism. It is not embarrassed to claim that the demonic is real and that God has a voice, and that voice actually has a timbre, a tone, and a sound. <laughs> it wasn't made up in somebody's mind, and that God has spoken in space and time. Because Christianity is an unembarrassed supernaturalism, or it's a doornail. In other words, or it's useless. It either is what it says it says, or it's not. It's really not worth your time, and you should get out of here. You should get, run away from it. As a system, I would say as far away from Christianity as humanly possible, if it's not true, because it's nothing but it's just going to drive you crazy. Otherwise, the Bible—and that's just the problem with this generation—is not possible. I want to share three things with you, and we'll get one. We'll get into. I want to get into how we can use the Bible as a sword, and we can fight with it. I want to ask a few questions to this generation and maybe encourage you in your heart too, because when we, because when we hear this Bible's not possible, it 's scary to us that our Bible's a fantasy. but I want to ask this generation three questions. How does it describe modern scientific theory then? Science just found out because of the math of einstein 's equations, backtracking the cosmos back to the original first few seconds of creation, that the initial moment of creation was a big bang but did you know did you know the big bang had no light photons were so hot and they could not they were bouncing off of electrons and they weren't the initial universe was completely opaque it did not shine for the first hundred thousand years in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth is formless and void and the spirit of god hovered over the surface of the deep I just described, the the microwave cosmic background, it's called, cosmic microwave background. Uh, Ted actually knows the, uh, Ted, one of our friends here, knows the Nobel Prize winner who discovered the cosmic microwave background. He lives here in San Francisco. The cosmic microwave background is the leftover residue of that initial explosion. And we now know that initially the universe was an enormous black seething mass of superheated um, elements. Isn't that amazing? As it cooled down at about 400,000 years, bam, and God said, let there be light. Tell them, all right, so first we have the cosmic microwave background and the surface of the deep. Then we have an explosion of light, which we know scientifically did happen. Go to the creation of the earth. Go to the creation of our, our, our planet. Go to the creation that's described again and again in there. What comes first? Sea creatures, then animals, then How did this ancient know that the archaeological record would say you were right? No, this is fantasy. Remember, the Bible's just fantasy. And it hits scientific insight at the most profound level it has ever been. And it describes it as true. You know why? Because it's all true. It's amazing. How does it contain prophecy and fulfillment across a thousand years? I don't know. I remember being seen at Bruce, Bruce's house. Bruce, what was his name? Bruce, I can't remember his last name right now. But we were sitting there and we, were, we had just finished translating Psalm 22 or part of it. And we had translated from the Hebrew. I'm walking from my dorm in the seminary, this is in the early 90s, over to my apartment. And as I'm walking over, I keep hearing the, the click, the my, my the click, The rattle. Because it says in Psalm 22, they cast lots for my clothes. They They were throwing dice for my clothes, he says. In Psalm 22, as he describes his suffering and how his suffering is so harsh, people don't even care. They're having recreational fun while he's dying. That David wrote that. And I don't think he knew at the time. That he was supernaturally predicting with uncanny accuracy the sounds my Savior heard as he bled and died for me. Praise my Savior. <laughs> you know what you'd have to say for this to be for this just to be uh, created? You'd have to say the entire thing was hoax. The entire thing was a hoax in fabrication. I don't know how you do that. That requires more faith than believing Jesus is the Son of God. I'll tell you that much. That requires an absurd amount of faith. How does it occur, historically prove to be true again and again? This is where I want to uh, encourage you. Go and search it out. Go read the case for Christ. Go, go do your work. If you tell me you can't believe and don't want to believe or have a hard time believing, go do your work then. Because other men did. Sir William Ramsey was a part of the joke. They all were. Everybody knew that Luke had been written and fabricated, but look, look, every time the the people in Luke would go to a new city, the new city would have, the governor would have a different name, a different title, isn't that silly? He must've made the whole thing up. That's so silly. So, so Ramsey, as an archeologist set out, Sir William Ramsey, to go and document how Luke's historical reporting was so clumsy, it proved why the Bible is just a fantasy. Well, Sir William Ramsey became a Christian. Because after years of archaeological investigation discovered that Luke is the most historically accurate book we have about the first century at all. It's the most accurate. From shipbuilding to the title of every city. It's beautiful, it's magnificent, it has vindicated itself again and again, and it will again. you, know, you say to me, oh, something else will come. Don't worry about it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. You know, science can rattle its cage and rattle its saber, and I just don't care anymore. The Bible told me that my genetic and all of our genetic code of every living human being could go back to one man and one woman, and now that, science tells me that happens to be true too? <laughs> but on a different time scale than my Bible. I don't want to hear it anymore (laughs) because all you're trying to do is find a way to not believe that my savior spoke and my God is a talker (sighs) and he's spoken words of love to me. And you know why all this stuff is so important about the historicity of Luke or the, the, the fulfillment that can never be, can't be manufactured or hoaxed or this scientific description of the earliest days of the universe. You know why that's so important? Because I want to know when God says, I love you, that he really means it. And that it's as true as that. You get that? Like it means something that God loves me. It means the same stuff that that the stars are made of. And the whole history unwinds. And how prophecy is true. The supernatural is true. Jesus loves sinners like you and me. Praise him. Your Bible is true. God's a talker. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he had something to say? Aren't you glad he speaks words of love and life for us? We're here, I'm asking you to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what we've been looking at over and over again is that whatever you focus on creates your destiny. And whatever you focus on creates who you are. Whatever you stare at becomes you. Whatever you love, your heart takes the shape of. Whatever you stare at the most is what influences you the most. It's just tried and true. You what you focus on is your eternal destiny. And if you focus on Christ, so what is my point today is I want to get you to focus on your Bibles. I want you to draw your scriptures into focus again and again so that you become readers. God's a talker. Why aren't you reading? God's a talk, God's talk to, talking to you all the time. Why aren't you reading? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you? Why don't you have ears to hear? That's how we need it. So uh, my goal today in this oh, here, I, I wanted to tell you this: the Bible is a new genre I made up. It's a new genre. It's the only one. In the, it's a, it's a sui generis. It's only one 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 volume in the genre. Fantastical nonfiction. That's the Bible. I love that. It is fantastical nonfiction. I'm not embarrassed. My God told me he loved me. All right, so the goal here is to get you more in the Bible and get more of the Bible into you. Uh, What do you think? That's what I want? (sighs) How many of you just sitting there going, if I hear another preacher tell me to read my Bible, I'm going to be sick. (laughs) Huh? How many? Well, actually, we live in a generation now where your preacher may not tell you to read your Bible anymore. That's true. I didn't think of that. So maybe it's not as common. But when I was a kid, it was much more common. I actually almost came. I was actually going to add a little e here, so I would have true. You see that? See that? I could have. I could have had an acronym, and I missed it. I still do. True. If that helps you to remember this. Every time my son's in the Navy, and every time he uses an acronym, it just makes me want to get sick. All right. So, but let's take a look here. How do we trust it? How do we trust it? How do we trust it? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take us to, to, to Christ's temptations, all three of them, because it's going to teach us how to trust, how to read, and how to use, I think. How, why did, how and why to trust, how and why to read. Well, some of it will come out of that. Because Christ meets Satan right at the, at the uh, inauguration of his ministry, right before it's about to start. And here we have in verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Uh, by the way, anytime you're being tempted, it's because God has appointed it. This is a good lesson. If you're being tempted now, it's because God has appointed it. He did it with his own son. Jesus was led, by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is one of those wonderful, wonderful places of biblical understatement. He was hungry. No kidding. No kidding. All right. So, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves. Oh, bread, make yourself a meal, make yourself a sandwich. Jesus, aren't you hungry? Is there anything wrong with Jesus making himself a sandwich here? No, no, it really isn't. Although I, I tend to think that Satan's probably trying to shipwreck a 40-day and 40-night fast. It's probably right at the end of it. If I know that our enemy, that's part of what it is. It's to, it's to sabotage what Christ is trying to finish as he's trying to finish it. So there may be, there would be, but there's no crime in the son of God turning stone into bread. This isn't, it's not a crime for him to do that. He's allowed to do that and he does it in different ways. In his ministry. But he answers something else. And he answers because he is—he is, he is every, te- every one of these, by the way, is from the book of Deuteronomy. Every quote that he does. You shall not put the Lord to your test. And you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And uh, man shall not live by bread alone. I think, it's, I think it's Deuteronomy 6. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what does he do? He brings up a question of focus. He brings up his Focus. Now, 40 days and 40 nights fasting creates a lot of focus. (laughs) It creates a lot of, and that focus is mostly about your tummy, right? Creates a lot, laser-like focus. Trust me, I've never gotten that far. I've gotten there. I've I've, I've tried. I always failed. trust me. But man, it's not a little bit. But so it brings us focus. He brings us to this overall beautiful principle, trust. The Bible. <laughs> Trust it. Trust it as if your life depended on it. Let it sustain you in all. Trust your scriptures when you have nowhere else to turn. Trust them. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every mouth, every word that proceeds in the mouth of God, as Christ saying. Treat the scriptures as that foundational, as foundational as your daily, constant, appetitive diet. Trust. I've told you this before. Some, some of you may be tired of hearing this, and I don't care. But the new people need to hear it too. I have a I have a rule for you, Simon. You know this rule. When you're good, at some point, Rochelle, in the future, you're going to be reading your Bible. 20 years from now, you'll be you'll be in some passage about Methuselah, or or will you'll be in there? You'll reading something Deuteronomy, going scratching your head, wondering what kind of God have I followed my whole life, and and. And you know what's going to happen in that moment? You're going to be, did God really say that? If you haven't done that already, you're lying to me. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't been in your scripture and wondered, is this really something I have to believe, obey, or trust or no? And you've wondered. We all wonder. <laughs> We're all aggressive and materialists and skeptics. We all embrace everything with an attitude of prove it and show me, don't we? We do it all the time. I want you to teach something. Whenever, whenever you're reading the Bible, and whenever you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. All right, that's, 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 all, that's all I'll say. Say, whenever I disagree with the Bible, guys, say, whenever I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong. <laughs> it's, so, it's so simple and it's life-giving. No, I'm serious, because you're gonna be sitting there scratching your head thinking you're being clever by doubting something and you're not. You're not being clever. The Lord speaks, He's a talker. <laughs> He's spoken, every word is true. You can bet the bank on it. Trust it. Let that trust. You know what I love in the morning? One of the things I love at night, even, is I can hear the foghorn at, at the Golden Gate Bridge from where I live. I, can you hear it, Julianne? I don't know if anybody, uh, anybody else can hear it or not? I, mm, I love that at night. It's just wonderful. It was foggy. I could hear it this morning. I was awake up. It's wonderful. And, and what, is that, what is that invitation? Right in that moment, when somebody's in the fog, and the water's choppy, and the boat's backing back and forth, and you're looking at instruments, and the instruments are moving, and you're moving, and, you're, and you hear the sound. And you go, oh, I can trust that, right? <laughs> I can trust that. It's right there. He's, Oh, I love this idea. I love this idea. But, right, let me give you an example here of, of um, how many of you know who, who uh, Rudolf Bultmann was? Rudolf Bultmann was a famous theologian and exegete of the scriptures. Anybody have a Bible on them? Anybody have a Bible? Like a raw, like an actual biblical. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Gillian? All right, when you get it out, give it to me. Thanks, Gillian. Um, it's your first Sunday and you're already in a sermon. That's a new one. I don't usually do that to people. Thank you. Oh, a nice, hefty one, too. I used to preach with Bible I, I a Bible because I love having it as a tool. <laughs> And it's because I, I grew up watching Jimmy Swagger, And Jimmy Swagger would put his thumb in a Bible like this, and then he would point at it. With, I love that. It's so far It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, don't break your Bible. Okay, God. <laughs> All right. So Edel Inman was, was Rudolf Bultmann's student. Rudolf Bultmann wrote an entire book on John. And what he did in the book of John is he said John was written by about 20 or 30 different men and pasted together. And he thought that our goal with reading the Bible was to get at the true truth. Strip away all the supernatural husk and get to the kernel. By the way, most theological programs today in San Francisco are that. Strip away all the supernatural to get to some inner truth. It's a false distinction. (laughs) The the truth is, is God's truth from the supernatural to the inner truth. The whole thing is his truth. So um, so she came, she studied under Ru- Rudolf Bultmann. Rudolf Bultmann did more to destroy the Bible than any other theologian of the 20th century. She studied under him and she was a thick German accent. She goes, they do not, and she said, I, I, she had successfully written a book to refute his work. And somebody asked her, will anybody read it? Will your, fr- your friends in, in Germany read it? And she said, no, they will never read it because it is not published by them. And then she does, she does this funny thing. She goes, look, when I was in seminary, I was trained that here's my brain and here is the Bible. And the Bible is below my brain. I, I criti- criticize the Bible. The Bible has to pass my tests and then I will buy it. She said, I didn't lo- understand and my, my teacher didn't understand. Now I do because I know Jesus. This is the way it is. <laughs> the Bible is above my head. <laughs> it informs my head. My head does not judge it. And she's standing there in front of a bunch of seminary students with a Bible above her head like this, saying this is how she believed." I love that woman. That's wonderful. Because what she discovered by by hard pressed, I don't think I need this again. Uh, Thank you. Uh, What what she was describing was what she had discovered. Um, What is it here? The word of God sustains. And Christ is teaching us here to be sustained. Trust it. Second, um, read it. <laughs> the devil took him to the holy city and set him down at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Oh, man, I will literally, I'll give somebody five bucks if they can tell me what old, what psalm that's from. But right off the top of your head, you have to be able to do it right now. No, no, 116 or 118, I can't remember. Is it? I can't remember, right? Is it 91? Is this 91? You owe your elder five bucks. All right. Is it 91? I can't remember. He will give his angels charge concerning you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So this is a promise actually for Jesus, isn't it? This is actually written for him. This is his promise of how his father in heaven will protect him. Boy, is it beautiful. This is his promise that Satan offers him. And then Christ responds, you shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. What's going on here? I want to give you, share with you something Cedric told me. Cedric was having fun with some friends, and was what they said in a bunch of people, you've probably been in these situations before, and somebody says, you know what? God doesn't teach that you have to be married. Adam and Eve weren't married. Now, if you read the text, this is where it's funny. Because he, he, he thought that he said it was kind of funny. He went back and read it. Because if you read it, it actually says they became husband and wife. It actually says it right there in the text. What happens with most discussions where people are quoting the Bible with to you? Or quit, what, what happens with most of the information you get off the cuff or in the world about something that's in the Bible? What's the truth about it? Usually, it's usually a misquote. There's usually people are taking the Bible out of context or taking it out and wrenching it in order to present you with something and say, oh, look how stupid this is. And it's in, in fact, their attack itself lacks all integrity. And has no character. They couldn't even test their own words that way. And so we have to be able to answer. If some people say, I don't like to read my Bible because there's so many different interpretations. Amen, there sure are. Here you go. The devil's got an interpretation, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, everybody's got an interpretation. So does the enemy. If you read your Bible a lot, you'll get the right interpretation. Yes, you will, because it's the sword of what? The sword of the Spirit. We are engaged in investigating the words of a God, and He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us on our own. What does He do? He gives us tools. He gives us an inner principle, an inner person called the Spirit to guide and direct and speak and understand and unpack and unwrap these truths for you. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need the Holy Read it but read it, read it with Holy Spirit dependence and a Holy Spirit call in your heart. Read it, but please read it. Read it all the time. Has anybody told you when you became a Christian, Sharon, when you became a Christian, you need to read the Bible every day for the rest of your life. Is there, did anybody ever explain that to you? When you've Sometimes we missed out on this. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you're just being foolish. You're disconnecting from the Father. You're not trusting it. Because you're not reading it. And what's gonna happen is somebody, either Satan himself or somebody else, is gonna half quote something and you're gonna be completely off. You know, you get completely discombobulated and fearful and afraid and scattered, right? In the battle. You gotta read it, guys. You gotta be reading it all the time. My mother read the Bible every year, every year of her life, because she found in it the answers of life. I'm going to tell you something even more I want, you to get, I, want you to, I want you to get practical I want you to get so practical about this um, uh, I want to be a Cheerios church I want to be a Cheerios church even though we don't have enough kids to do it yet what am I talking about do you have a box of Cheerios do you have like a little container of Cheerios you carry around you don't because that girl won't eat anything uh, did you guys ever do it you guys, you guys did it a lot because what does Anna live on? French fries right now? And, but but what's the, what's the, what's the, what are we doing? What, you ever see parents do with Cheerios? They have Cheerios all the time. Why do they always have Cheerios? Because when kids get cranky and they get hungry, just feeding them is one of the easiest ways to deal. Because usually hypoglycemia is what's happening. They're falling off the edge. Because Why don't you have some Cheerios in your pocket all the time? What I mean is, why aren't you in the Word? We need to have a concept about the Word. We're snacking. I'm serious. Develop a snack, a snack attack attitude about the word. Develop a snacking kind of mentality. Oh, you have 15 minutes of lunch? Oh, that's enough time for a little snack in the word. Snack on the word. And then, the don't only snack, also gorge. I mean, fatten. I mean, loosen the belly. Loosen your belt. I mean, eat it. Here, uh, The Bible Project is out right now. The Bible Project is an online YouTube channel that actually takes books of the Bible and schematizes them in 15 to 20 minutes. And you can get the entire story of a book of the Bible. Watch every one of them. I watched 10 of them this week and it blessed my soul. What was I doing? I'm snacking on the Now I'm gorging. I'm at the feast. I'm shoveling it in my face. We're supposed to be doing this all the time. What is memory? Memory is, is having memory and memorizing scripture. It's like having... Uh, a to-go lunch all the time. It's like you're constantly ready. I'm going to challenge you with something else. Some of you are eager to diet. This is going to sound so weird. But when I have fasted, I found this to be true. That when I would sit down, very hungry, at lunch, and if I opened my Bible, my hunger would go away. I, I don't even know what that is. But if you're really struggling with your diet, try that. Try the scriptures instead of a lunch. I was always surprised at how the words of my father would fill me up. I'd almost forget. I would forget that I was hungry. Why? Because my truest hungers and your truest hungers have always been to hear dad say, I love you. My promises are for you. Finally, use it and this is this idea of using it here in 1st 2nd Corinthians. These are some texts from Scripture from, about the, that are kind of informing a lot of what I'm talking about today. But finally, use it all the time. Oh, yes, use it, guys. Use it, all right. I want to, I want to, something has changed my life. Watch, watch this. This is kind of cool. Did you hear that? <laughs> so there's a little button on my Apple Watch, and when I hit it, it tells me where my phone is hours people I have saved hours this very week by this function I am a moron my phone winds up in every weird place possible it doesn't matter cushions under seats in pants pockets in a closet Uh, who knows the last time I actually put it on a shelf while I was you ever do that put something on a shelf while you're in somewhere working then you really lose it you, uh, you don't remember putting it down but no not me (laughs) <laughs> you know what? I think John 3.16 is the same thing. For the very present. What do I need? I need the presence of my father. And I need his promises. And sometimes I need them when I'm standing at a bus stop. Because somebody, the way somebody just treated me. Or when I'm in traffic. Or when my boss just walked out of the room with something I didn't want to hear. And I'm sitting there like, I'm dif- dismayed, dis- destroyed, discouraged, uh, confused. What do you need right then? You start using your scripture that way it 's a way of finding where am I where am I where, where are you, father? Where are you? Oh there you are. there you are. I found my peace again. I found my joy. Does the scripture functioning in your life this way? Because it can, it should, it will should you start using it this way. The scripture is extraordinarily useful useful, useful this way, and um, I've never done that before. Um, no, I, I, I just this idea that that we will be these uh, snacking habits, and I guess I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Um, the usefulness of the word. I wanted to say more about it and, and about yeah. Uh, why? So why talk about the word of God and all this stuff? What's the point? Roughly four billion years. Roughly four, give or take a billion or so. The hydrogen inside the sun will finally be consumed. It's burning right now. It's fusing. It's fusing with helium, and it's consuming itself in a constant fusion explosion of unbelievable force and power. It's so powerful that we, 93 million miles away, enjoy its heat, enjoy it baskets. It's the only reason that uh, life is, it is possible here on Earth. And But in four and a half billion years, the hydrogen will be used up. For about a billion years, now helium will start to burn and helium will fuse with carbon and things will get intense. Finally, there'll be a collapse. And as in an instant, all of the mass rushes into the star, what will happen again? It will then blow up again and become a nova. And for 10,000 years, our sun will shine with a radiance that could be seen halfway across the universe. And the fact that Jesus loves me will still stand because he said so. He said, Heaven and earth will pass away. How did he know that, by the way? (laughs) He knew the sun would pass away. He didn't know that until this century. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the fact that I love you will never pass away. Take up the sword of the Spirit, take it up. (laughs) Take it up now. Take it up today. Decide for Christ now. Invite him into your heart and your life. Trust him in a holy and fully and complete like you never have before. Trust him now. Trust him tomorrow. Praise him. I don't know how to shut that off, Anthony. Oh, it did. good. thanks. Let's pray. Thanks, Father. Thanks for your word. Thanks for speaking to us. Whatever wasn't of you, I pray would be forgotten. Whatever was your truth and whatever Holy Spirit you want to use, it will be used. I pray for new new spiritual life for my people and for myself. I pray for new love for your Bible, your words. Oh, I'm so glad you're a talker. Your words are love for your children. Your words are love in life. Oh, I praise you. I pray you're there and you're not silent. Amen. Amen. He's a talker. Oh my goodness! Is he a talker? Even the night he was betrayed, Jesus said was talking. He said, "This is my body, who's given for you. Take and eat." In the same way, here after dinner, he took a cup of wine, pouring it, said, "This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink." This is the cup of the covenant. Here, guys, he's a talker. He's talking, but you know, he's so he's a communicator, and 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 so he uses rudimentary. And very basic children's images of eating, of munching, which is how he understands the Bible too, to say, this is how you know God, guys. God in you, God in you, God in you, you and God. Get it? Get it? get it? get it? Get it? Simple as possible. Uh, if you're a sinner, this is your table. Get, get, get up here. Get up here and know God's grace. If you tr- trust his words of life for sinners who trust him, trust him. Trust that, trust that truth, uh, read it, and, and use it right now by coming to the table. But let me, let me put up a barrier, a barrier. Uh, let I Maybe say no to some of you. I have to say no to some of you because you cannot come to this table if you think you're a good woman. You are forever forbidden from this table if you think you're a good man. Isn't that weird? Our God's a talker, and all he talks about is how much he loves sinners. Praise him. Praise him. If you're a skeptic and you don't believe God has spoken yet, I get that. Listen, it's kind of a tall order to believe God is talking, especially when you hear a knucklehead like me talking. But I don't ask you to trust me. I ask you to trust him. And what will happen, and I hope will happen, is that you will be, in your, in, as your investigation, you will be provoked to envy, provoked to know God and want to know him the way that we know him because we hear our dads speaking all the time and we're so very thankful. All right, let's now, this is a time of worship. We're going to respond to the, 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 the word preached by the, by the table here. So um, a bunch of things are going to happen. We're going to stand up. We can stand up now. Let's stand. We're going to do the words of uh, uh, the, uh, the mystery. And uh, then we'll do the words of, uh, of the uh, Apostles' Creed. Uh, I ask you to consent to those events in the apostles creed as happening in space and time as true things, supernatural things that happen in the real world. Uh, Those are the things we ask you to believe to participate in the Lord's table. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, so we're going to come and get that while we're singing uh, the bread and the wine, take it back to our seats and then take it together finally at the end. Um, So tell me, will you, will you speak to me? What is the mystery of our faith? Christ has died, Christ has died. Christ will come again. Praise Him. So tell me, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10:15. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the ferry building, and we can't wait to see you.